about Mother Immaculata asking one of the girls to leave the exercise books in one place and the girl thought it was somewhere else and the girl went by accident into the nun's side of the convent. But this was lost on David who didn't know that you never under pain of terrible things went to the nun's side of the convent. It didn't really matter to either of them. There were no strain on each other and life in Castle Bay could be full of strains so this was a nice change. He came into the shop and as there was nobody serving, she took off her coat, hung it up and found the jar of clove rock. She counted out the six for a penny that he was buying and before she put the lid on the jar she offered him one courteously and took one herself. He looked at her enviously. It was great power to be able to stand up on a chair in a sweet shop, to take down a jar and be free to offer one to a customer. David sighed as he went home. He'd have loved to live in a shop like Claire O'Brien. He'd have loved brothers and sisters and to be allowed to go up to the yard and collect milk in a can when the cows were being milked. It was very dull going back to his own house now, to his mother saying he really should have some sense of what was what. Still, Miss O'Hara was coming tonight and Miss O'Hara made lessons much more interesting than at school as he had once been unwise enough to explain to his mother. He thought she'd be pleased, but she said that Miss O'Hara was fine for the country primary school but didn't compare with the Jesuits, who were on a different level entirely. Claire was sighing too. She thought it must be great altogether to go back to a house like David Powers where there were bookcases of books and a fire on in that front room whether there was anyone sitting in it or not and there was no wireless on and nobody making noise. You could do your homework there for hours without anyone coming in and telling you to move. She wished for a moment that she'd been his sister, but then she felt guilty. To wish that would be to want to lose Mammy and Daddy and Tommy and Ned and Ben and Jimmy. Oh, and Chrissy. But she didn't care how wrong it was. She wouldn't mind losing Chrissy any day of the week. Daddy had been painting out in the back and he came in holding his hands up in front of him and asking someone to reach out a bottle of white spirit. Mammy came in at the same moment. She'd been up to the post office and she'd discovered terrible things. Chrissy and her two tinkers of friends had climbed on the roof of Miss O'Flaherty's shop and poked a long wet piece of seaweed through to frighten Miss O'Flaherty, who could, God save us all, have dropped stone dead on the floor of her own shop, and then Chrissy O'Brien and her two fine friends would have the sin of murder on their souls until the last day, and after. Chrissy had been dragged home by the plat and the ear. Claire smiled sympathetically at Chrissy, but it wasn't well received. Stop looking so superior, Chrissy cried out. Goody, goody, Claire, stupid, boring Claire. She got a cuff on the head for this performance. There'll be no tea for you, Chrissy O'Brien, and that's not the end of it either. Get up to your room this minute, do you hear? This minute. Agnes O'Brien's thin voice was like a whistle with anger as she banished the bold Chrissy, wiped the worst paint off her husband's hands with white spirit and managed at the same time to point to Claire's coat on the hook. This isn't a hand-me-down shop, she said. Take that coat and put it where it's meant to be. The unfairness stung Claire. We always leave our coats there. Do you hear her? Agnes looked in appeal to her husband and headed for the stairs. Chrissy was for it. Can't you stop tormenting your mother and move your coat? Her father asked. Is it too much to ask for a bit of bees? Claire took her coat down from the hook. 
It was so wrong of him to say she was tormenting Mammy. She wasn't. But you couldn't explain that to him. He was bent over in a kind of a stoop, and he always looked harassed, as if there wasn't enough time or space or money, and there usually wasn't. The O'Brien household lived on the profits of the summer season, which was short and unpredictable, and there was no steady living to be gained over the winter months. O'Brien's shop was perched on the road going down to the sea. It was the last shop you saw before you got to the beach. So people bought their oranges and sweets there, and it was the first shop you met on the way back, with your tongue hanging out for an ice cream or a fizzy drink. It was the nearest place if you sent a child back up the cliff for reinforcements on a sunny day. Tom O'Brien should be making a small fortune there, people said, nodding their heads. Claire wondered why people thought that. The summer was the same length for the O'Briens as for everyone else, eleven weeks, and the winter was even longer and colder because they were so exposed to the wind and weren't as sheltered as the people all along Church Street. The shop was oddly shaped when you came in. There were corners and nooks in it which should have been shelved or walled off, but nobody had ever got around to it, and even with three customers the place looked crowded. Agnes came downstairs with the air of someone who's just finished an unpleasant task satisfactorily. That girl will end on the gallows, she said. The dark and very angry eyes landed on Claire. Have you decided that you'd like to belong to this family and do what's required of you? Would it be too much to ask you to take that coat out of my way before I open the range and burn it down to its buttons? Claire stuffed her school coat into a cupboard under the stairs and took a few potatoes out of the sack on the floor. Each evening she and Chrissy had to get the potatoes ready for tea, and tonight Claire was going to have to do it on her own. In the kitchen sat her younger brothers, Ben and Jim, reading a comic. The older boys, Tommy and Ned, would be in from school shortly, but none of this would be any help. Boys didn't help with the food or the washing up. Everyone knew that. Claire had a lot to do after tea. She wanted to iron her yellow ribbons for tomorrow, just in case she won the history essay. She'd better be looking smart. Miss O'Hara had said that she'd never been so pleased in all her years teaching as when she read Claire's essay. It gave her the strength to go on. Those were her very words. She'd never have stopped Claire and said that if Claire hadn't won the prize. Imagine beating all the ones of fifteen, all those Bernie Conways and Anna Murphys. She longed to tell them at home but decided it was better to wait. Tonight it might look worse for Chrissy. After all, she was two years and a half older. Chrissy would murder her if she chose to reveal it tonight. She took upstairs a big, thick sandwich of cheese, a bit of cold-cooked bacon and a cup of cocoa. Chrissy was sitting on her bed examining her face in a mirror. She was fatter than Claire, much, and she had a real bust that you could see even in her school tunic. She had a round face and always looked surprised. Not happily surprised, not even when someone was delivering her an unexpected supper. I don't want it, she said. Don't eat it then, Claire returned with spirit. She went back downstairs and tried to find a corner where she could learn the poem for tomorrow and she had to do four sums. She often asked herself, how was it that with six people living in that house who were all going to school... Why was she the only one who ever needed to do any homework? Jerry Doyle came in as she was ironing her yellow ribbons. Where's Chrissy? 
he asked Claire in a whisper. She's upstairs. There was murder here. She gave Miss O'Flaherty some desperate fright with seaweed. Don't ask for her. They'll all go mad if you even mention her name. Listen, won't you tell her? He stopped. No, you're too young. I'm not too young, Claire said, stung. But I'm not giving your soppy messages to Chrissy. She'll only be annoyed with me, and Mammy'll beat the legs off me, so I'd much prefer you kept them to yourself. She went back to the ribbons with vigour. Jerry Doyle laughed good-naturedly. <laughs> You're quite right. Let people do their own dirty work. The words dirty work somehow cut through all the rest of the noise in the O'Brien kitchen. What dirty work? Agnes called. A grand fellow, that Jerry Doyle, but you had to watch him like a hawk. Whatever divilment was planned, he had a hand in it. I was saying to Claire that I'm no good at any housework. I'm only good at dirty work. He smiled across, and the woman on her knees in front of a pile of rusted baking trays smiled back. Claire looked up at him. Imagine being able to tell a lie as quickly and as well as that, and over nothing. Jerry's father was the local photographer, and in summer he walked the length of the beach three times a day, taking family groups, and then out again at night into the dance hall where the holiday business was brisk. Jerry's mother and sister did the developing and printing. I nearly forgot why I came, Jerry said. My father asked me to have a look at the view from different places. He's thinking of making a postcard of Castle Bay, and he wondered would there be a good view from your upstairs. Do you mind if I run up and have a look? At night? Claire's father asked. You'd get a good idea of the outlines at night, Jerry said. Go on up, lad. Nobody except Claire had the slightest.